Hey everyone, Eric Izwa here for the Summons from Gallifrey podcast. This is a regular podcast that discusses Doctor Who. Right on. This is now episode 10. 10, I can't believe it. Take two, by the way. Have you ever done that thing where you've talked for about an hour and then realized that you didn't hit the record button? Um, yeah. I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> anyway. This is now, yeah, like I said, episode 10, and in this episode, we're going to be covering John Pertwee's regeneration story, The Planet of the Spiders. Okay. The year is now 1974. It was a tremendous year, and we are at season 11, the end of season 11. So the character, Elizabeth Shaw, left the show at the end of season 7. The production team felt that she was so smart that she was totally unrelatable to the majority of the audience, which I don't know what that says about their expectations of the audience, but basically they felt that she was an unrelatable character because uh, the audience couldn't identify with her. I think they kind of felt that they needed someone who was constantly asking, what's that doctor? What's that doctor? And if you have someone who in universe is incredibly genius, then there's going to be less of those moments because they should already know what that is. At any rate, they introduced a character named Joe Grant, who she's about college age. She comes into the picture during season eight and leaves during the last story of season 10 to join and marry a Professor Jones who is an ecological activist. All throughout this time with Joe, The doctor kept promising her that he would be showing her a planet on his bucket list called Metabilis 3. They develop it like a running gag through a lot of the episodes uh, during their time together. And it's really quite amusing. It becomes like funny after a while. It's relevant now because in Joe's final story called The Green Death in season 9, no, season 10, sorry. The final story of season 9 called The Green Death, the doctor is finally able to visit Metabilis 3, but it's definitely not the paradise that he was constantly promising. We don't see much of it at all in that story. It's basically a 20 or 30 second clip of the doctor being chased by a whole forest of creatures that we never see, but just hear. So a ton of sound effects, the doctor racing down a hallway in the BBC somewhere as he runs into the TARDIS, clutching a fair sized blue crystal, which he then gives to Joe at the end of the story as a wedding gift. More on that to come. Sarah Jane Smith then shows up at the beginning of season 11, who play who is a very inquisitive reporter, very resourceful, and a lot of quote-unquote real-world smarts. She becomes one of the longest and most loved companions by the fans. In fact, so much so that they attempted a spin-off series with her, and she's appeared in several of the new Doctor Who stories. Well, I say new, it's now a couple of years older, so the newer Doctor Who series. The unit regulars of Captain Mike Yates and Sergeant Benton, who are both closely tied to the Brigadier, are also heavy fan favorites. This Planet of the Spiders that we're about to go through is also their kind of farewell to unit as much as it is to the Doctor. They continue to work with the Doctor, of course. There's a bunch of threads and stories that they appear in from time to time. But the relationship is definitely not the same as it was during the earlier John Pertwee years. Um, It's kind of like feeling 
like when you're leaving high school and going to college or leaving college and going off into the world. Um, the, the friend group and the relationships you develop uh, changes uh, once that journey starts. So it's the same kind of thing here. It was produced and directed by Barry Letts and script edited by Terrence Dix. And there's a, it's the last one that uses the John Pertwee silhouette tunnel intro. Uh, it's a little bit hard to describe. You have to see it to kind of see what I mean. Um, but it's a cool intro. One of the neater ones. Okay. All right. Okay, it's definitely recording. Yep, I can see things moving. So hopefully this time is it. <laughs> Anyways, let's get started. Episode one. We see ex-captain Mike Yates heading to a retreat slash meditation center. Just to fill in some of the details before this, there was a previous story where Mike Yates loses his rank within unit and is ejected from the army. Maybe we'll go over that one. It's a good, good story. We cut to the doctor and the brigadier who had some sort of variety performance show. We never see the stage, but from what we hear and see of the doctor and the brigadier, the acts are mostly a, a waste of time, to quote the brigadier. And there's not very many people in the audience, so I don't even know where they are. Uh, there's like maybe two rows of seats in the audience with the doctor. That's kind of what it looks like. Anyways, who cares? They're at this performance act and a variety performance act. And we hear a announcement of a, of a dancer from an exotic dancer from Turkey who's going to be performing next. We cut back to Mike Yates working through or walking through this little retreat. Basically, it's a three-story structure with the basement. So large old house, three-story with a basement. He hears chanting coming from the basement, so he quietly goes down to take a look. A group of men are sitting around a mandala, which is a Buddhist or Tao meditation map kind of thing. That's the name they give it. Uh, one, of the, one of them is rhythmically banging a cymbal together while the, the entire group is chanting, um, um, um. So Yates sneaks in for a closer look. The chanting is increasing in volume as well as pacing when suddenly a blue light starts to appear in the middle of the mandala. Yates is incredulous. But as he leans even closer to look, he puts his face through a spider web ugh, with a large spider just hanging there. He panics and brushes it off, but as he does so, he knocks over a candlestick thing, which creates a loud noise that disrupts all the chanting. The lead chanting guy named Lupton looks over to see the basement door open. We then cut back to the doctor and the brigadier. The brigadier is enthusiastically clapping after the performance of this exotic Turkish dancer who of course we never see. I mean, it's still a family show. But he calms down a lot. It, it's kind of funny because he's, he's really clapping and then calming down when he looks over and sees the doctor just staring at him. <laughs> so I think he reminds himself where he is and uh, just calms back down again. They both lean forward at the announcement of the next act, though, a Professor Herbert Clegg, which the doctor says that this is, this is why they've come there. Back to the basement of the retreat. 
The group aren't sure what if it was just the wind causing the disruption to the ceremony until they hear the sound of, ca of a car starting up and driving away. Lupton mentions that there's only one person in their group that drives a car. Their new friend, Mike Yates. Cue ominous music. Cut back to Unit HQ. Professor Clegg arrives at the invitation of the doctor. The doctor is interested in discussing clairvoyance with Clegg, who at first tries to pass himself off as an actual fake. He begs the doctor and the brigadier not to tell anyone that he's just made it all up, that he's just using coded words and signals with his assistants, assistant for the purpose of the act. But the doctor ignores him and keeps pressing him, and he's convinced that Clegg is actually a master clairvoyant. Clegg finally admits that, yeah, he's, his powers have actually been growing lately, much to his despair. The doctor and the brigadier ask for a demonstration. Clegg looks at a nearby dinner tray on the doctor's desk. With a little bit of focus and some help of some wires, the tray starts to move and come towards the group, passing right in front of an incredulous brigadier. But Clegg can't maintain control of the tray, and it crashes to the ground. With the doctor urging him, he agrees to help the doctor's experiments as it might help him figure out why he has this power. Back at the retreat, Lupton is discussing with Choje about the arrival of a female reporter. Choje is a, what you might imagine, of a Tibetan monk. Uh, he's dressed up in a Tibetan monk outfit. And he's sort of the underboss uh, who works underneath the abbot at this retreat. Lupton wants to keep the world out, but Cho Jay is trying to remind him about change. He reminds Lupton that eventually he will need to learn how to remain in solitude while out amongst the chattering of the rest of the world. We cut to a train station where Yates is picking up Sarah Jane Smith. They get in his car and they head back to the retreat. Lupton is back in his room talking with one of the other chanters named Barnes. They suspect that Choje has brought the reporter in because he suspects something about what they've been up to. They feel close to a breakthrough in their meditation. They're interrupted by Tommy, who's a autistic or developmentally challenged individual who's trying to show them a flower he picked. He's somewhere on the aut autism spectrum for sure. They're quite rude and demeaning to Tommy. At one point, Barnes just pushes him away, which causes Tommy to fall down, crushing his own flower in his hand. Back in the car, Yates is clearly not telling Sarah Jane anything. Eventually, we get a tiny info dump where Yates admits to Sarah Jane that he was personally screwed up after the last adventure and being ejected from unit. He found this retreat run by two Tibetan monks, and he's been there ever since trying to sort himself out. We go back and forth here between Mike and Sarah Jane in the car and this and Lupton and Barnes and the rest of the group chanting in the basement. So the scene flickers back and forth between them. The chanting is getting louder and louder and faster paced and back and forth with Mike and Sarah Jane. Mike is trying to communicate to Sarah Jane that something is definitely going on that they need units help on, but he needs Sarah Jane's help to corroborate his story. The brigadier or the doctor would just ignore him. The chanting is getting louder and louder and intensifying. Sarah Jane agrees, but she wants some real proof from Mike Yates. 
He smiles and looks ahead, and then they both panic when they suddenly see a farm tractor directly ahead of him on the road. Mike fights with the car, and he ends up going off the road, nearly hitting a tree in the ditch. It's a pretty good stunt. They both look behind them, and they see nothing, just empty road. They talk about it with each other, and they discover that they both saw it, so a shared a vision of some kind, which is now gone. But it did convince Sarah Jane that something is going on. Back at the lab, the doctor has some headphone gear on Clegg's head. The doctor has a device running to measure brain waves when Clegg does his clairvoyancy thing. They do a test on the brigadier's watch. Clegg starts telling him about how the brigadier got the watch 11 years ago in a hotel from Doris, which is now his wife, which is starting to freak him out. The brigadier definitely doesn't like discussing any of his private life around the doctor. So he grabs the watch from Clegg's hands and embarrassingly admits that everything is working. The doctor then pulls over another machine called Iris, I-R-I-S, which works to translate the thoughts in Clegg's head to images. He turns on the monitor and he gives Clegg his sonic screwdriver. We then get a montage of creatures that the doctor has faced, while Clegg's face is in an expression of shock. Back at the retreat, Sarah Jane is making notes while talking to Cho Jay about meditation. Cho Jay is explaining the purpose is to help a person work through their own mental interference, to find their true self, which is no self. Cho Jay explains that the old man must die, and the new man will discover with extreme joy that he never existed, with a huge smile on his face. Sarah then asks Choje about any dangers of this meditation and focus. If you dig too deeply into someone's complexes or phobias, do you risk something? Uh, do you risk uncovering something darker later? Choje nods and starts to mention the idea of demons and divinities. Their method of teaching, called the Vajrayana way, Vajrayana, Vajrayana, the Vajrayana way, uses these powers to help. I'm glad they only mentioned it once. But it sounds like this is also the first time that Yates has heard this. He questions Choje if someone could misuse these powers for evil. Choje nods and admits it could be indeed the most dangerous, but he assures them both that such a thing could never happen there. Which of course means it's happening. Back at unit, the doctor and the brigadier are convinced that the imaging machine is working properly. But Clegg hands the doctor back his sonic screwdriver, convinced that he was just seeing fantasies. Sergeant Benton then comes into the room, carrying a package addressed to either the doctor, the brigadier, or Yates, or Benton. Basically all of them. The doctor feels that it's from Joe, who's currently in South America. But instead of opening it, they give it to Clegg. He starts rubbing it in his hands, and tells them that it's a blue crystal from beyond the stars. The brigadier gives out a loud groan, but the doctor smiles. It's the crystal from Metabulus Three that he gave Joe. He opens it up and pulls out a large rectangular blue crystal. Back at the retreat, Sarah Jane and Mike want to head downstairs into the basement to check it out when Lupton and Barnes come, around, come from around a corner. They ask how things are going when Sarah starts to talk about the tractor on the road while they were driving there. Mike cuts her off, calling it an accident while squeezing her arm. 
She gives out a loud yelp and then stops talking about it. Lepton makes an obvious threat to Yates on how dangerous the road can be. Mike then yet mentions that if they don't leave now, Sarah Jane will miss her train, and he pulls her a protesting Sarah Jane away, and they leave. Lepton and Barnes watch them get into Mike's car and drive away. Lepton smiles, convinced that their threat to Mike has worked and that he's scared to death. In the car, Sarah Jane complains that she'll be bruised for a week thanks to Mike. He apologizes to her and explains that that was Lupton. After a short drive, he turns around and comes back to the retreat, but hides the car in the bushes near the entrance. They're going back, but on foot, which gets Sarah Jane all excited. Back at Unit HQ, the doctor is reading Joe's letter. She's explaining that they haven't found anything they've been looking for in South America, and the local natives are blaming the crystal, telling her that it's evil. Either Joe gets rid of it, or, the, or their native tour guides will stop helping them. While the doctor is reading, Plague takes the crystal and starts to turn around it in his hands out of curiosity. Back at the retreat, Mike and Sarah Jane are climbing into a window when they're discovered by Tommy. Mike tries to explain that they're playing a game, at which Tommy gets even more interested and wants to play along too. Sarah Jane introduces herself to Tommy and patiently explains that they're playing a game called Secrets and not to tell anyone that she's there. She notices that Tommy is interested in a little piece of jewelry that's on her jacket, so she gives it to Tommy, who then walks away. Yates and Sarah Jane sneak down into the basement, which is currently empty, but they soon start to hear voices from upstairs. They hide around a corner, while Lupton, Barnes, and the other men come down the stairs and take their med meditating positions around the mandala. They start chanting while Mike is unnecessarily nudging Sarah Jane to pay attention. Meanwhile, the doctor is reading Joe's letter while Clegg is holding the crystal. The crystal is now glowing a shiny blue light, and the letter gets pulled out of the doctor's hands by a fierce wind. There's a rumble all over the lab, with everyone almost falling over, equipment falling off of shells, etc. The crystal keeps shining while the unit lab is in chaos. The doctor is fighting this wind to make it over to Clegg. He finally gets there and knocks the crystal out of Clegg's hands. Clegg screams and then slumps over dead. Back at the monastery, the chanting is getting louder and louder. Sarah's eyes are getting wider and wider. From the blue light that's appearing on the mandala, a very large spider appears, about the size of a cat. Ugh. Cliffhanger! Okay, I gotta find a better cliffhanger. You'd think by episode 10. Okay, episode 2. The spider materializes on the Mandela. Sarah is close to screaming, so she grabs Mike's arm instead. The dude who was crashing the symbols together gets up in fear and tries to leave, but a lightning bolt comes from the spider, knocking him unconscious. Lupton tries to order the spider to go away. The spider tells him that she's there to give him the power he's after, and she orders Lupton to turn around. He does so, and the others watch in horror or fascination as the spider leaps onto Lupton's back. After a moment, it disappears. Duh, it's really creepy. Lupton's face and overall posture changes, as someone with a giant spider on their back might do. Back at the unit HQ, 
The brigadier is suggesting the crystal clog caused Clegg's death, but the doctor is not quite convinced. He suddenly remembers that the imaging machine was still connected to Clegg when he died, so maybe it recorded something useful. They play it back, and there's a small montage of zooming in and out on a spider, which of course causes the brigadier to make a face. Back in the basement of the retreat, they're helping the symbols dude back to his feet, and he heads to his room to rest. Everyone in the group leaves apart from Lupton and Barnes. Barnes asks Lupton if he feels all right, and Lupton says that he's never felt better. Back at Unit HQ, the doctor turns off the imaging machine. He comes up with another plan. He must look into the crystal himself. The brigadier is extremely nervous about this idea, and even Sergeant Benton offers to try it out first, as he's more expendable. But the doctor feels that he has to do this himself. At the retreat, Mike is helping Sarah Jane out the window, telling her to describe everything she can to the brigadier and the doctor. You can pretty much tell at this point that all Sarah Jane has to do is mention spiders, and they'll listen to her. But how would she know that? Mike hears Lupton and Barnes coming up, and he hides. Barnes is still trying to decipher what happened, and what they conjured onto the mandala. Is it one of the demons that Cho Jay has warned them about? Lupton is pretty sure it's not a demon, and he can still feel the spider. Their minds are joined together. Barnes heads to bed, and Lupton suddenly feels the spider twitching in his mind. She calls the crystal. She feels the crystal. She's come to this world to retrieve it. She convinces Lupton that the crystal will give them both the power that they seek. She encourages him to concentrate. Lipton can see a man holding a blue crystal. We fade out to see the doctor staring into the same crystal. Benton comes in with some fresh coffee, which snaps the doctor out of his meditation. The brigadier questions the doctor about the spiders. The doctor reveals that all he could see when he looked into the crystal was the face of his old hermit teacher that the doctor knew when he was younger. Another time lord who had taught the doctor how to look into his own mind. I'm sure it won't come back later at all in this story, right? Back at the retreat, Mike is trying to go up into the attic to visit the abbot, but Tommy steps in. It's time for bed, and the abbot is resting. Tommy doesn't want to hurt Mike, but he's making sure that the abbot isn't disturbed. Mike is okay with it, and as he's leaving, Tommy notices a shiny pendant that Mike is hanging around his neck. With a smile, he takes it off and gives it to Tommy. Back at Unit HQ, Sarah Jane is trying to tell the doctor what happened, but he's focused on the machine hooked up to the crystal. She knows he's not listening to her, but eventually she rambles through her whole story to conclude by mentioning the spider appearing and jumping on Lipton's back. The doctor is still reading the machine, but after a few moments, he turns around as he finally processes the whole story about the spider. He demands that Sarah Jane start from the beginning and tell him every detail. With a big sigh and rolling of her eyes, she starts again. Outside Unit HQ, Lupton walks up to a technician working on a hover car about the location of the doctor. After the technician tells him, Lupton zaps him through his fingers with that same blue lightning. He gets into the building, and he's around the corner from the doctor's lap when Benton tries to stop him for his pass, 
He turns around and shoots the same blue lightning from his fingertips, stunning Benton. Lupton then stops outside the doctor's lab. He can see the crystal on the doctor's desk. The spider voice tells him to concentrate. In the room, the doctor is explaining to Sarah Jane that the crystal removes all the interference from a person's mind, thereby enhancing it in a lot of ways. He searched for it specifically while he was on Metabilis 3. But it could be used for evil depending on the person wielding the crystal. Sarah Jane suggests that these spiders have come from Metabilis 3 and want this crystal. But the doctor doesn't really recall any spiders, certainly not giant ones, from, when, from his visit. So he concludes that it could be from a time period after his first visit, perhaps in the future, far future. Suddenly, as Sarah Jane is staring right at it, the crystal vanishes from her eyes. In the hallway outside, Lupton is holding it in his hands. He runs out of the building, giving Benton a punch on his way out. The doctor and Sarah Jane run out of the lab to give chase. And here we go. We're about to, we're about to start the chase sequence of all chase sequences. This one's a doozy. Lupton spots the hover car that the technician was working on, and he climbs in and takes off. Benton climbs into Bessie, which is an old-timey yellow roadster that the doctor has beefed up, and he takes the brigadier, Sarah Jane, and the doctor after the hover car. They pass by an airfield, and the doctor steps off Bessie to get into a personal-sized helicopter called the gyrocopter to guide them from the air. The brigadier then scoots Benton over and takes control of Bessie, and they drive away. And there's now several shots of the hover car driving down the road with Bessie in pursuit. And they're going down the same section of road, turning the same corners. It's still a neat chase, though. Uh, we get a few shots of the doctor using the radio to direct the brigadier to try and cut off Lupton. Lupton finally looks behind him and notices the brigadier after him, as well as the doctor above him in the gyrocopter. We then, of course, cut to a bored police officer who's sitting in a car at the side of the road. He radios into dispatch that nothing is happening again. Suddenly, the silver hover car zips by with the old roadster in pursuit, followed by the gyrocopter in the air. The cop radios that into dispatch and takes off in pursuit. There's more footage of the, of the chase through the same sets of turns and roads. Eventually, Lupton brings the hover car to a wide field area and gets out, hiding in the bushes nearby. The doctor lands just as the brigadier is pulling up at Bessie. The cop finally gets there and starts to demand some answers. While they're all talking, the spider urges Lupton to get into the flying machine and take off, convincing him that she can help him pilot it. So the doctor and Sarah Jane run over to the hover car and get inside. The doctor flicks some switches and suddenly the hover car takes off into the air as a flying car. The brigadier and Benton head back into Bessie and they pass the police officer who just realizes that he's not going to get any answers and he puts away his notebook. He gets in his car and is about to give a report, but he ends up just heading home for the day. Meanwhile, the doctor and Sarah Jane in the flying car catch up to the gyrocopter. The spider tells Lupton that he needs to land as they're running out of fuel. He puts it down in another field near a river or a lake, and he takes off on foot. Soon after, the doctor lands the hover car, and they both climb out. Lupton makes his way to the water 
and luckily for him, a motorboat is coming into the shore, followed by a small personal-sized hovercraft. Lupton gives the motorboat driver a shove and takes off in the boat. The doctor and Sarah Jane get to the same spot, and the doctor climbs into the hover hovercraft, taking off in pursuit after Lupton. Now there's some more chasing on the water of the doctor and Lupton. At one point, the doctor takes a shortcut by going over some land, and then gets back onto the water to show up right behind Lupton. Lupton realizes that they're in trouble. The doctor is close behind him. The spider says that she'll get help from Metabulus 3 and for Lupton to concentrate. The doctor pulls up to the boat and jumps inside, and he's just about to grab Lupton, only to see that Lup Lupton vanish in front of him. Cliffhanger! Episode 3 Tommy comes out of this tiny door under the stairs. It, I don't think it's his bedroom. It might just be like a, a small workroom that Tommy made for himself. I don't know. He turns a corner and then he hides again as he sees Lupton just materializing in the middle of the corridor. Clever Lupton, says Tommy. He then spots the blue crystal that Lupton is holding and he starts drooling over it. My precious. He slowly follows Lupton. An exhausted Lupton gets to his room and shuts the door. The spider tells him that they did it together and they will have more power than he thought possible, but she warns him to hide his ambition. If her sister spiders detected his thoughts, they'll kill them both. She warns him that she senses they're attempting another mind link with her. We now dissolve to Metabulus 3. We're in a council chamber loaded with giant spiders all over some benches. Picture two, two layers of benches with in it. Picture two layers of benches forming a U-shape with spiders all over both. They're staring at Lepton's head, which is floating in the air as they're talking to him. The queen spider congratulates Lepton's spider on recapturing the crystal and that they'll work on getting them home. She reveals that the great one requires the brute she reveals that the Great One requires the Blue Crystal in order to conquer Earth, their rightful home. And from this point on, whenever anyone, on, anyone in the spiders mentions the Great One, they all immediately say, Long live the Great One! All hail the Great One! They'll contact Lupton Spider again soon, and they hang up the connection. As Lupton passes out in bed, the spider becomes visible again, and climbs off of Lipton's back. Ugh. As she's crawling along the ground, she warps through some of the doors and comes across the doctor, Mike, and Sarah Jane talking to Chojay about Lupton, claiming that he's in possession of this crystal. Chojay says it's impossible, as he saw Lupton there earlier, and that Lupton doesn't nearly have the skill for that kind of teleportation that the doctor's talking about. Barnes also overhears this and races to Lupton's room to wake him up. With the spider not on his back, he wants them both to leave right away. But Lupton ignores him, starts to wash his face, sharing with Barnes the whole reason he ended up at the retreat. While Lupton is sharing his story, Tommy has climbed up a tree outside the window and he's looking into Lupton's room through the open window. He spots the blue crystal on the desk nearby, and with a smile he quickly grabs it and then goes back down the tree. 
Lepton finishes washing up and confesses that he went came to the retreat in search of power, the kind of power that he can wield against everyone who shut him out at the end of his workplace where he gave 25 years of his life. Blah, 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 blah. Barnes just came for some peace of mind. It's kind of a funny juxtaposition between the two. Anyway, Lepton says that once he figures out how to control the crystal, he won't need the spider at any spider's help anymore. Lepton says that once he figures out how to control the crystal, he won't need the spider's help anymore. We cut back to Tommy in his small room under the stairs. He takes out the blue crystal and he puts it in a shoebox which is filled with other jewelry and possessions, including the pendant for Mike Yates and the little jewelry pin piece that Sarah Jane had given him. Back in Lupton's room, Barnes points at the floor as the spider comes in through the door. She tells him that Choje will soon visit in order to talk to him about the doctor. They must have a plan. She's also overheard Lupton plotting against the spiders, so she gives him some mental zaps to remind him of who's in charge. After Lupton begs her for mercy and to stop zapping him, he turns around and gives the spider the same mental treatment with his mind, forcing her to beg him to stop. They realize that they're each powerful in their own right. He wants to conquest Earth, while she wants to conquest Metabilis III. Again, they agree to help each other. She jumps on his back again and disappears. He turns around to get the crystal, only to realize that it's gone. Meanwhile, in Choje's office, the doctor and Mike Yates are begging him to let them talk to Lupton. Tommy quietly comes into the room at the back and gets the attention of Sarah Jane. She follows him out and Tommy tells her that he likes Sarah Jane and has a present for her this time. He takes her hand and they leave. He makes Sarah Jane wait for him outside of his little cubbyhole as he goes in and closes the door. Suddenly Sarah Jane overhears Lupton and Barnes trying to track down the crystal. The spider tells Lupton that nobody on Metabilis III has it, as they used up all their mental powers just to talk to them, so it must be nearby on Earth. Lupton comes up with a plan that if they're recalled to Metabilis III, they're going to have to bluff the Queen, otherwise she'll kill them both. The spider thinks it's a dumb idea, but she doesn't have any other suggestion. Lupton heads down to the cellar while Barnes leaves to talk to their group. Sarah Jane is itching to follow Lupton, when Tommy comes back out of the room with the shoebox. Before he can show her the crystal, she tells Tommy to go get Mike Yates. She's heading to the cellar to follow Lupton. Of course, as she turns away and leaves, Tommy holds up the big blue Metabilis III crystal. Sarah Jane sneaks into the basement and finds the same hiding spot as before, just moments before Lupton makes his way downstairs. He pulls out the mandala and starts to chant. Tommy manages to find the doctor and Yates and is trying to tell Mike about the cellar, but he's dismissing him. Tommy gets a little bit more excited and persistent, trying to repeat the message that finally the doctor thinks that he's got something to say. Tommy says that both Lupton and Sarah Jane are in the cellar. They both take off in a run. In the basement, a chanting Lupton disappears. Sarah Jane steps out of her hiding spot to check things out and accidentally steps onto the mandala. She calls for the doctor and Yates. 
They make it to the cellar while the doctor is yelling at Sarah Jane to get off the mandala, but she can't. She, she finds herself stuck. Before she can move anymore, she suddenly finds herself on Metabilis Three. It kind of looks like the Grand Canyon, which I've never been to, but only seen pictures of. But the terrain looks very similar. It It's very uh, flat, rocky, deserty. It's it's kind of hard to explain, but I'll just I'll just go with that. She freezes as she notices that Lupton is just a few feet in front of her. I don't know how far he is in front of her, but it makes it look like he's only a few feet in front of her. Lupton doesn't notice her though, and he moves off. Sarah Jane is about to move when she's suddenly grabbed from behind. The doctor tells Yates that the only thing he can do now is to chase after Sarah and the TARDIS. Mike will stay behind to try and figure out how to help them from there. Sarah Jane is taken to a small village. The one who grabbed her, his name is Tuer. The, the one who grabbed her, his name is Tuer. T-U-E-R. It's a horrible name to pronounce. Tuer wants her dead as a, as a spy for the spiders. Sabor is the chief of the village, while Arak is his son, who we meet, will meet shortly. Sabor's other son is Tuer. She makes a joke about the spiders, which only fuels their rage towards her. A-R-R-A-K. Arak finally convinces everyone not to kill her. A trumpet sounds and everyone scatters. The Queen of the Eight Legs is coming. Sarah Jane, Arak, Sabor, and Tuer hide out in their house. Arak is wanted for striking one of the Queen's guards but Sabor gives himself up for his son. And they're just about to take him away when one of the guards, one of the human guards, spots Sarah Jane. Meanwhile, the doctor gets back to Unit HQ and races into the TARDIS, which takes off right away. The TARDIS lands on Metabilis Three, and the doctor steps out right in the same village that Sarah Jane and the other humans are at. The doctor spots the Spider Queen and then bows to her, asking what she intends to do with Sarah Jane. The queen doesn't answer the doctor's question, but is surprised to hear that they're both from Earth. She demands the guards take the doctor as well, but he puts up a big fight, and it's a pretty good action sequence. He takes out a few guards before they all do the lightning thing to him, which knocks the doctor out. He collapses right on the doorstep of the TARDIS. Cliffhanger! Episode 4 during the commotion, some of the villagers around Sarah Jane put some clothing around her to, to help disguise her. With the doctor knocked out and the fact that darkness is approaching quickly, the Spider Queen wants to leave. Her human guards bring Sabor and they leave. Back at the retreat, Yates is watching Barnes who's holding a secret meeting with the rest of the group. They go into Barnes's room and he shuts the door with a do not disturb sign. Back on M3, Tuer is trying to drag Sarah Jane into the house as it's nearly curfew, but she's trying to revive the doctor. He's pretty sure that he's dead, but lo and behold, the doctor starts to groan and move a little bit. So Sarah Jane gets Tuer's help to get him into the house. In the retreat, everyone is asking Barnes what happened to Lupton, and he doesn't have a clue. He, he figures that Lupton finally made it to the planet of the spiders. 
Some of the group want to come clean and go to the go to the police, but Barnes shuts that down. Maybe Lupton is trapped and needs their help to bring him home. Tommy interrupts them, and again Barnes treats him like garbage. It's pretty awful. Barnes mocks him for not being able to read the Do Not Disturb sign. Tommy leaves, remembering that his mom had sent him a book that he could start reading. Back on M3, the doctor is now lying down in Arak's house, with Sarah Jane really worried about him. He's not recovering, he's just groaning a lot. The others figure that he should already be dead. A toll bell starts ringing outside, and they tell Sarah Jane that anyone caught outside after dark will be killed. The Queen Spider returns to her council chambers to see Lupton sitting in her place. She's outraged, but Lupton and his spider tell the Queen that they won't give up the crystal until they've been given their reward for their work. The Queen informs them that while Sarah Jane and the Doctor are at large, they won't be able to talk to these two. The Queen informs them that while Sarah Jane and the Doctor are at large, they won't be discussing anything. Which I kind of didn't understand. I don't understand what one has to do the other. Maybe the Queen meant that she wanted to corroborate Sarah Jane and the Doctor's story? I don't know. The logic didn't really track too much here. But the rest of the Council nod in agreement. Tommy is back in his room under the stairs. He pulls out the blue crystal and puts it next to him. He then pulls out a grade one reader book and he starts to read through it. As he's struggling through the pages, the crystal starts to come alive. Tommy notices that it's glowing brighter and brighter blue. And we get a montage cutting back and forth between Tommy's face and the crystal. So Tommy's face, crystal, Tommy's face, crystal, back and forth. Finally, Tommy falls over. After a few moments, Tommy sits back up and he finds that he can read the pages fluently. He starts getting more and more excited as he's turning page after page and reading everything without a problem. Back on M3, the doctor is weakly telling Sarah Jane to get a machine for him from the TARDIS. It's the only thing that can save him. Sarah Jane finds the TARDIS key in his pocket, and she leaves. Eric warns her that if she's caught, she'll be killed. She sneaks across the courtyard and into the TARDIS. She comes back out a few seconds later with the leather satchel the doctor wants. She puts it on the ground while locking the door, and then turns around to see Lupton and guards. In the house, Eric wants to go out and help Sarah Jane, but now Tuar is holding him back as it would also mean Eric's death. Their father, Sabor, protected Eric, so it would be a waste to let him die. They remember the machine in the leather bag. Looking out the window, they, still, they see that it's still there next to the TARDIS. Eric sneaks out to grab it. He makes his way back, and they hand the machine over to a weak doctor. The doctor twists the lever on the device, and some bolts come out of the machine, which are supposedly healing the doctor. He thanks them both, and then passes out. At the retreat, Tommy is sneaking into the library and pulling out some books. He reads through one without any issue, and then he starts grabbing other books from the shelves. On M3, Sarah Jane realizes that she's in a larder. Behind her is Sabor, who's in a spider cocoon up to his neck. She backs away in terror and a guard zaps her unconscious, with a smiling Lupton looking on. 
In the retreat, Barnes and the others are still debating what to do when Mike Yates finally knocks on the door. The group hides while Barnes leans back in his bed, pretending to read. And Yates enters the room, telling Barnes that he's overheard everything. One of the group, named Moss, was standing right behind the door in such an obvious place that Mike Yates would definitely know someone would be there. I don't know. Especially when he's been hearing voices from the room. Yates is definitely smarter than this, so it was kind of dumb, but whatever. Moss hits him from behind, and, Ma and Yates falls to, to the ground unconscious. Back on M3, the toll bell starts ringing again because it's dawn. The doctor snaps awake, getting everyone in the house up. Sarah Jane hears the same bell from where she is, and wakes up to find that she's in a cocoon up to her neck. Sabor tells her that they're both destined to be eaten by the eight legs. The doctor and Eric are eating some soup for breakfast while Tuar is pacing impatiently. Eric explains that their ancestors crashed on M3 over 400 years ago, and through oral tradition, this story is passed down through the generations of their tribe. Eric wants to know if the doctor can help them. He agrees to, but he wants to know first what they're up against. Where did these spiders come from? We jump cut in mid-conversation to Sabor, who's explaining the same story to Sarah. The eight legs came from Earth. When the human ship crashed, the blue crystals must have unlocked something in the spiders, causing them to grow in size and ferocity. The crystals can help enlarge the mind. By the time that man figured that out, it was too late. And then Arak finishes the story with, And they've ruled us ever since. He says the spiders are ruthless. The doctor wants them to go out and to collect a group of rocks and pebbles in the nearby area. Back at the retreat, Mike starts coming around to find out that his hands are tied and his mouth is gagged. Back on M3, the doctor is testing some stones in the machine. It's making a slight buzzing sound each time the doctor is trying one of the rocks out. As Eric comes in with another fresh bag of them, one of the, one of the rocks that the doctor tests out makes a big warble with a different pitch sound. A big smile appears on the doctor's face. We now see the doctor heading off towards the spider's complex to rescue Sarah Jane, saying his goodbyes to Eric and Tuar, making sure that they, uh, they have enough of the stones that the doctor had found. In the complex, Sarah Jane is struggling and not, and not giving up hope of rescue from the doctor. Just outside somewhere, the doctor finds himself surrounded by human guards. He fights a few of them off again, but Lupton shows up ordering the doctor's arrest. Then another guard shows up to order the arrest of Lupton, and they take him away to the council chambers instead of the doctor. They lead the doctor off in a, in a different direction. Sarah Jane gets excited when she sees the doctor walk into the room, but then he smiles apologetically as she sees the guards behind him. Cliffhanger! Episode 5 The Queen Spider is confronting Lupton and his spider. She says that they'll both be executed as the Queen has discovered that the crystal is not on Metabilis 3. But Lupton admits that the crystal is still on Earth. He did tell them earlier that he knew where it was hidden, but not that it was on M3. Lupton's spider senses a mood shift with the Council and she presses the fact that the Queen is making mistakes which are endangering the plan of the Great One, 
Long live the Great One. The queen tells them that she will consult with the Great One herself. All hail the Great One. Back in the larder, the doctor is trying to use some humor with Sarah Jane to calm her down and keep her distracted. She asks him why the spiders didn't just take the doctor's crystal before he did on his first trip. The doctor reminds her that they're in the future from his first visit. He tells both Sabor and Sarah that Arak will soon be mounting an attack now that they know how to protect themselves. The guards come in and cut Sarah Jane free before taking her out of the room. Back at the village, Tuar and Arak are gathering the men for the attack. They all tie some bands around their heads, which each have a stone that the doctor found for them right in the center of their foreheads. They leave the village shouting, Death to the Eight Legs! Death to the Spiders! The doctor starts wiggling out of his cocoon while trying to explain to Sabor that he had a great mentor to teach him how to escape, Harry Houdini. But he crawls out of the cocoon and leaves the room. He tells Sabor that once he finds Sarah, he'll be back to rescue him. Sarah Jane is thrown into a room with the queen spider who sends away all our guards. She tries to explain to Sarah Jane that she's against the invasion of Earth. She lied to the council about seeing the Great One. All hail the Great One. Sarah Jane figures out that Lepton never had the crystal here on Metabulus Three, and it's still on Earth. The Queen thinks the same thing, and wants her and the Doctor to help retrieve it for her. She'll agree to set Sabor free and hear the grievances of the other two legs. Sarah Jane agrees to the deal. Somewhere in the Citadel, the Doctor is dodging the guards while trying to find Sarah Jane. Back on Earth, Barnes comes into the room and unties the gag around Yates's mouth. Yates asks him what they're going to do about Lupton. Barnes still doesn't know. Yates says that they need to re-establish the link. Lupton might be waiting on the other side for them to do so. Barnes says that they need five. Yates offers his help because he wants to help find his friend Sarah Jane. He stands up and turns around so that Barnes can untie him. Back in the council chambers, Lepton is trying to make plans with his spider and trying to get the approval of the council. One council member states that the queen can no longer be trusted, or Lepton's spider, or Lepton himself. Lepton's spider states that her loyalty has always been to the Eight Legs and the Great One. Long live the Great One. Lepton tries to protest and argue about being dismissed, and starts to threaten his spider again. The entire council starts to do the mental thing and focuses their powers against Lupton, who falls down with a grunt. They demand that he obey them. He acquiesces and agrees to obey them. The council start debating an invasion plan. The doctor is going through the complex when he hears Sarah's voice. He turns in her direction and heads down a corridor. Meanwhile in the retreat, Tommy is still reading. He's pouring through some novels. He's trying to figure out what's happened to him, but it's no use. He has to find someone to talk to. He remembers Yates, and he vows to find him. He opens his cubby door when he hears Barnes and Yates making a plan to meet in the cellar. Tommy then suddenly remembers Sarah Jane telling him that Lupton has gone down to the cellar. And then he starts to remember Clever Lupton, and how he remembered seeing Lupton just appearing in the middle of the hallway. 
He dives for his shoebox and he pulls out the blue crystal. He decides to go talk to Chojay for help. The doctor finds himself in the cavern of the Great One. Long live the Great One. And the walls are reflecting a lot of blue light. He discovers that she tricked him by making him think that he heard Sarah's Jane's voice. The Great One wants the crystal that the doctor stole. She has searched all time and space for that particular one. It's the last crystal that she needs. The doctor at first refuses to help her. The Great One starts laughing and starts forcing the doctor to walk in a circle against his will. She senses that he is afraid. She tells him to leave and come back quickly with the crystal. She must have it. She must have it. The doctor runs out. Back in the retreat, Mike is helping the group chant again. In the spider council chambers, they confirm that a link has been established. Lupton warns them to be careful that his old group might be hostile. The scout spiders go into the middle of the council chambers and disappear one by one. They appear in the basement a few feet away from the chanting group. Upstairs, Tommy has finished explaining everything to Chojay. Chojay decides to confront the group in the basement. He starts to admonish their abuse of power when one of the spiders zaps him. Yates runs over to Chojay, and then he gets zapped himself. The other spiders in the room encircle the remaining group who are just huddled together. Tommy's watching this from the top of the stairs, then runs away closing the door, deciding to find the abbot, Kanpo. The doctor leaves the cave of the Great One, long live the Great One, and finds his way back to the larder. Sarah Jane is waiting for him, and they both hear Arak and his men fighting their way inside. Sarah Jane takes the doctor's hand, and they disappear, and then reappear right back in the village in front of the TARDIS. The doctor knows right now that something is up, because he really doesn't ask how they did this, how Sarah was able to do this. Uh, he just goes with it. They both go into the, into the TARDIS, and they leave immediately. Back at the retreat, Barnes and the other three dudes are now all taken over by the spiders. They hide as the TARDIS appears. The Doctor and Sarah Jane step out and are confronted by Barnes and the others, who try to zap the Doctor with the lightning bolts. He fends them off and Tommy opens the door to rescue them. They manage to get out and Tommy locks the door from the outside. The Doctor announces that Choje and Mike aren't dead, they're just unconscious. They rush back upstairs with Sarah Jane making an offhand comment about how Tommy's normal again. To which Tommy says, I sincerely hope not, which is a good line. They want to head up to see the abbot. They get to the abbot's room, picture uh, an old Tibetan monk sitting in a wooden chair. The doctor greets the abbot in Tibetan, which brings a smile to his face. He teases the doctor that it's sometimes difficult to recognize friends. The doctor kind of looks at him, but doesn't say anything. Tommy steps outside to guard the door. The doctor sits and starts to tell the abbot everything, including the admission that he initially stole the blue crystal. Soon Barnes and the three others come, around, come from around the corner, with their spiders telling him that the blue crystal is in the room. But Tommy is standing firm, not letting them pass. They try to muscle him out of the way, but it doesn't work. Finally, they all decide to raise their hands together and start to zap Tommy. 
cliffhanger. And then in a weird edit, the beginning of episode six doesn't start from the cliffhanger, the same cliffhanger from episode five. There's a little bit of a different sequence here. There's no confrontation with Tommy the way it happened in the last episode. So we start with Tommy taking the doctor and Sarah up to the abbot's room. Tommy stepping out to guard the door. Barnes and the rest of the group are in a hallway. Moss wants to leave, but the spider on his back starts to give him the mental pain to force him to stay. He acquiesces, and the rest of the spiders sense that the blue crystal is nearby. They want Barnes and the group to concentrate. The spiders can still sense it and, and pushes them to head towards the abbot. Meanwhile, the doctor finishes telling the abbot the whole story and cannot give the crystal to the Great One. Long live the Great One. It would mean the end of Earth, or the, even the universe, with that kind of power. The abbot produces the crystal. Sarah's eyes widen. The queen within Sarah Jane demands that the crystal be given to her. Now we get the scene, with the group led by Barnes to confront Tommy at the door. We get the same sequence with them finally all shooting lightning bolts at Tommy. Meanwhile inside, the doctor is urging Sarah Jane to fight the presence of the queen spider in her mind. Kanpo is also trying to help Sarah Jane fight the queen spider within her and free her mind. The doctor holds up the blue crystal and encourages Sarah Jane to look into it. The queen spider within her tries to make Sarah Jane resist, but she can't help it and stares into the crystal, which is now glowing. We get some more of that back-and-forth fast editing between Sarah Jane fighting for control and the shiny blue crystal. At last, Sarah Jane wins, and the queen falls off her back, shriveling up and vanishing. Not dead, though. Outside the door, Barnes and the others stop. They're getting nowhere. Tommy is still there. They plan to concentrate together. They face each other to form a square, putting all their hands in the middle, and start to chant, with Tommy looking a little worried. Inside the room, Sarah Jane apologizes for surrendering to the Queen, but Kanpo comments that we are all apt to surrender ourselves to domination, even the strongest of us, as he looks at the doctor. He makes another really fantastic quote, Not all spiders sit on the back. The doctor again stares at him as if he knows him, but he just can't place him. The doctor admits that this is all his fault. His greed for knowledge overruled his every action, which caused the entire situation. The doctor then suddenly looks at Kanpo and recognizes him from his past. I'll give you five seconds to guess who it is. Yes, it's the old hermit teacher that the doctor used to visit the one in his story to the Brigadier and Benton. I told you he'd, he'd, be, he'd be back. And suddenly, bada-bing, we get an explanation for regeneration itself. Kanpo defines it as a process where the Time Lord's body wears out and thus regenerates to become new again. Sarah asks Kanpo about Choje, and Kanpo reveals that Choje is a future projection of Kanpo himself. Speaking of Choje, oh, did I forget to mention that Kanpo is also a Time Lord? Speaking of Choje, we cut to the basement where Choje and Yates groggily get to their feet. They make their way back upstairs. 
Back to Barnes's meditation group. They're still chanting. They formed a link with the Spider Council back on M3 and, and asked them for more power. In Campo's room, he pronounces that the time has come for them both. The doctor must face the fear in his mind. There is no other way. He takes the crystal from Campo and explains to Sarah Jane that he's returning it to the Great One. Long live the Great One. Barnes and the group stop their chanting and line up again to face Tommy. They all extend their arms and start zapping. After a few moments, Tommy begins to stumble from the impacts of all this lightning. Yates suddenly runs out in front of Tommy and, and absorbs some of the lightning blast, which then sends him to the floor. Tommy rushes over to check on Yates, which then opens the way for Barnes and his group to rush into the room. They see the doctor holding the crystal in his hands, just as he vanishes. They then zap Kanpo, who falls back in his chair. They ignore Sarah Jane and head out the door to go back to this, down to the cellar. Meanwhile, the doctor appears on the mandala right next to the TARDIS. He races inside and dematerializes, just as Barnes and the others show up. The TARDIS materializes again right next to the village. The doctor steps out and greets Eric and Tuer, and he gets their help to guide him back to the cavern where the Great One is. Long live the Great One. Instead, Eric and Tuer lead him right into the Spider Council room. The doctor realizes that their attack failed, and they've now become minions to the spiders. The Queen Spider is back and demands the crystal from the doctor but he states that he will only give it to the Great One. All hail the Great One. Lupton tries to grab the crystal from the doctor, but his spider tortures him to stop. Nobody will dare interfere with the Great One getting the crystal from the doctor. Long live the Great One. The Queen admits defeat to the doctor, but she's glad that he will soon die. After the doctor leaves, Lupton loses his cool and starts insulting the spiders for obstructing his plans for power. Finally, they get tired of him and zap him dead. End of Lupton. Back at the retreat, Tommy has taken Yates to see Kanpo. As Yates slowly recovers, Kanpo tells him that his compassion for Tommy helped protect him, just as much as Tommy's innocence protected him from the lightning blasts. Kanpo then announces it that he's had it and slumps over. Kanpo then regenerates into Cho Jae. We don't get any glowy light or anything around his body, just a plane dissolve from one to another. Cho Jay slash Kanpo turns to Sarah Jane and says, How will you put this in your magazine, Miss Smith? And the whole group start chuckling. It's kind of like a Star Trek original series joke ending. Anyway, joke's over. We're now into the end game. Just serious business now, folks. The doctor makes it makes his way back into the cavern to face the Great One. Long live the Great One. She lets him approach her, and finally we see that she's a gigantic spider. She's on a platform, and hanging above her is a complex web of blue crystals, which are formed into a inverted cone. With the very tip, an empty space, just big enough for the crystal in the doctor's hand. The doctor demands that she leave the humans alone, but she just laughs. Earth is just one speck in the cosmos. She's after everything. She longs for the crystal. She aches for the crystal. The doctor asks her why is it so important. 
She explains that the web above her head is a complex web of crystals to reproduce the pattern of her brain. She's basically using it as an amplifier with her with the power of her mind growing and reproducing. The doctor warns her that all she's done is to create a positive feedback circuit. He knows she's trying to increase her mental powers to infinity, but it's impossible with that structure. The energy will continue to build up within the crystals until it releases and destroys her. The Great One ignores the doctor. Meanwhile, the crystals within the cave itself have been breaking down the doctor, and he knows he hasn't got much time left. The Great One tells him that with his last breath, she will grant him the honor of watching her become the supreme being. The crystal then floats from the doctor's hand and up into the last spot in the web. She announces that everything is complete. All praise to the Great One. The doctor keeps warning her to stop, but she's beyond listening. She's pretty much insane. She's gone mad for power after searching for this last crystal for so long. She keeps repeating, all hail the Great One, when suddenly she starts to scream. The cavern starts to tremble and the doctor runs out. In the spider council room, all the spiders are shriveling up and groaning in pain. Eric and Tuer and the rest of the humans find themselves free again, and so they take off out of the complex. Back in the basement of the retreat, Barnes and the group are chanting again, when suddenly all the spiders off their backs fall off and die. The doctor stumbles back into his TARDIS and dematerializes just as the entire mountain containing the spider complex and the Great One explodes. To Unit HQ. We find out that it's been three weeks with no sign of the doctor. Sarah Jane and Brigadier are in the lab just to see if the doctor's shown up yet. You kind of get the impression that they've been making this a regular visit. Sarah's becoming more and more convinced that he's dead, but the Brigadier tells her that he didn't see the doctor for months and then suddenly he showed up with a new face. Suddenly, the TARDIS materializes. The doctor stumbles out and collapses on the ground. He starts gasping that he had to face his fear. Sarah Jane begs him not to die and starts crying. The doctor tells her not to cry and then dies. There's a brief moment of silence. Then suddenly Sarah Jane hears a noise and Choje, aka Kanpo, materializes in the room in a yoga position. Sarah Jane introduces him to the Brigadier. He's trying to convince the two of them that the Doctor is still alive. After all, he is a Time Lord. But Sarah Jane keeps disagreeing. Choje explains that all the cells in the Doctor's body have succumbed to the power of the crystals on Metabulus III. But since he is a Time Lord, he will regenerate and become a new man. Choje says that he will give the process a little push and waves his hand a little bit. Sarah Jane exclaims, Look, Brigadier, it's starting! Well, here we go again, says the Brigadier. Again, no glowy effects like we had with Patrick Troughton or William Hartnell. But we just see Pertwee's face dissolve into Tom Baker's. And this time, he's still wearing Pertwee's clothes. The end! Wow, what an episode, everyone. That was pretty cool. I had a good time going through it. I hope it was just as much fun listening. Okay, let's go through the numbers. Episode 1 had 10.1 million viewers. Episode 2, 8.9. Episode 3, 8.8. Followed by 8.2, 9.2. And finally, Episode 6 with 8.9 million. 
quite a difference with the numbers in contrast to Patrick Troughton's or William Hartnell's. I also just wanted to mention that there are way too many nightmare spiders in this story. Some of them are just laughable props from a Halloween store, which are just jiggling because someone's poking it with wires or, you know, something from underneath. But some are done really terrifyingly, especially the ones that are on the backs of the humans and Sarah Jane. So around this time, Barry Letts, the producer, was really hot on a technology called CSO, Color Separation Overlay, which is a, a primitive form of chroma keying. So it's a special effect where there's two different live shots that could be mixed together to create the illusion of the two elements being in the same shot. But it often doesn't hold up too well compared to the more modern digital effects that came on the scene, as you might imagine, with technology. The CSO for the human village on Metabilis 3 was pretty terrible. The story was definitely catered as a farewell to John Pertwee. It's well known throughout his time as being the doctor that Pertwee really enjoyed any scene or story that allowed him to use a vehicle or anything that involved just a, a stunt. The old car Bessie is a good example. So in this story, we see Pertwee driving Bessie, a gyrocopter, a motorboat, a hovercraft, as well as his flying car. This story is also a farewell of sorts to Unit, like I mentioned in the introduction. Unit still appears in future stories, but the focus of the show has definitely moved on from the original trio of the Doctor, Companion, and the Brigadier and his team. Unit continues to be a huge fan favorite, with the Brigadier and Benton showing up from time to time, but this is the last story we see of Mike Yates. I give this one 3.5 spiders out of 5. There just wasn't enough material to stretch to 6 episodes. This could have been an exceptionally strong 4-part story. A lot of bits could have been left out without any interruption to the main storyline. While I try not to let things like special effects impact the ratings that I give these stories, the over-reliance on CSO for Metabilis 3 is a shame, especially when it doesn't add anything to the story. A generic alien world village of five extras could have been done anywhere. However, this story has a strong cast with a great running theme of renewal and things ending in new beginnings. It's interleaved throughout the entire story. It's also an excellent way to tie together some of the threads that were generated during Pertwee's area in a way that gave some representation to previous companions, unit, old friends, etc. It was really well done. And that's about it. So what did you think of Planet of the Spiders? How did you feel about the story? Were there some elements in there that you really liked or you really didn't like so much? Let me know at mailbag at summonsfromgallifrey.com. That's it for today's episode. The next story we'll cover is the first one of Tom Baker's Fourth Doctor robot. Have a good one, everyone. Peace.